collaboration with a studio that does not actually exist is proud to present to you the Logcast, the finest two hours of pure nonsense on the internet. Abandon your kids, quit your job, and destroy anything that gets on your path of listening to this program. Getting close now. first episode of the Logcast. Log, as you know, is the Lord of Games from uh, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, and I thought it was a fitting a uh, fitting character, considering that he represents kind of both Rare and all of video games, and kind of accurately represents the new kind of landscape of Rare fandom with Platonic, Gory Detail, Fortune Fish, and Rare themselves, and all these companies that have sort of spawned off from that. Uh, my name is David Jones, and uh, I run the site Rare and Friends, and I'm joined by my co-host, uh, Kev, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, hi. Um, mostly known online as Say, uh, but yeah, my real name's Kev. Uh, I'm joining Dave today. Uh, we've uh, become quite good friends recently, playing uh, on uh, Xbox Live, rare, various Rare Replay games. Uh, we met through the site DK Vine. And uh, Dave showed me his site, Rare Friends, and I was really excited to see a traditional Rare fan site for the first time in whew, must be <laughs> probably probably ten years since anyone's even attempted. Yeah, one. they've been kind of falling off the face of the earth. Like I think at the ni- the peak of the nineties, I swear there was like maybe somewhere between like seven to ten Rare fan sites, and they all just started slowly shutting their doors, and it's been very yeah. sad. I mean, what, what do we have left? I mean, aside from DK Vine, um, got... there's DK Vine, uh, there's Rare Gamer, and that guy actually got on one of the Rare's official streams. Um, I think there's one called like Rare Fan Debase or something like that. It's operated by the Killer Instinct Central guys. Oh yeah, the Killer Instinct. Yeah, uh, Instinct Central guys. Yeah. I think there's yeah, a that... few more smaller ones that aren't very active. I think the Rare Rich Project's still around. I'd like to say, think. Aren't those guys more uh, like the technical side of things? Though they're not really, from what I remember, don't isn't it just like they reverse engineer the games, they hack the games? But is it is it like a traditional fan site uh, too? I haven't been there in forever, but I know for like a while their forums were like one of the more active rare forums. Oh okay, I, I never really, uh, you know, I only really know the guys for finding the uh, stop and swap yeah, codes yeah. back in the day. And what else is there? Oh, there's um, this is more of just like an unreleased uh, rare material site, but there's a rare minion, and they they're the ones that like uh, got some of the dinosaur planet and twelve tails footage out there that had never seen the light of day. So yeah, they're pretty shit. I, I probably should have really done my research before recording. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, so th- there's 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 a few of us out there, but I think uh, as far as like actively updating. There's probably only like two or three, but yeah, um, rarefriends.net uh, is my site or our site, and uh, well, well, your site. Your site. I'm the uh, 
<laughs> I'm the guest. I'm the guest. We'll see. Uh, maybe it'll be. Uh... No, I, I I really like the site, dude. Um, I, check, I like the blog format. It makes it a little different from sites like DK Vine. Yeah. Sort of more like a traditional fan site, which is great too. Yeah, it's also a lot like... cheaper to maintain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm paying like eighteen dollars a year for it. So. <laughs> well. <laughs> but no, I mean, hopefully this podcasting will become uh, regular. I mean, we're, we're hopefully. Do you want to do one of these like once every week, maybe? Uh, a week, every two weeks, something like that. I think we'll probably make uh, that determination when we figure out how much work this actually is. <laughs> yeah, this is the easy part talking. Yeah, we've got figure the... out how, how hard it is to sync up the audio and all that stuff. <laughs> I imagine it can't be too hard. I think it's just drop a layer on layer yeah. and then just check the... Anyway, yeah, this isn't what the guys came here to hear. It's, uh... <laughs> That's exactly what um, they came here to hear. Exactly. <laughs> they want to hear on the pilot episode how we're going to edit the pilot episode. Exactly. We'll talk about all the tools we use. It'll be super fun. By the time they hear this, they'll know it worked out well. So. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, heading on in, um, the logcast is going to be uh, split into various sections each week. Um First up, we're going to have the news segment, which uh, we're going to be discussing all the news since the previous episode, which in this case uh, would be, what, 32 years worth of news? <laughs> Something like that, uh, depending if you call uh, count the ultimate years, which I think uh, oh. pretty much has to be counted at this point, considering they're all in a real replay. So I from about we... 19, was it 81 or 83 that Jetpack came out? It's right 83, now. although I don't get right. With Rare Replay, they say 30 years. Why do they only count from 85? I never really understood it. Because uh, 85 is when uh, Rare was formed themselves. Technically, Ultimate was like a second company or a separate company. Oh, was Rare formed in 85? Because I know was it Slalom didn't come out until like 87. Yeah, the, they... the Stampers actually formed the company in, um, in 85. And they sold Ultimate to, I believe, was a company called US, like Gold. US Gold. Yeah, I'm not sure how they ended up with the rights to all that stuff back, um, but apparently they did. Um, no, what actually happened, um, Scrap69 uh, from DK Vine explained, uh, I think US Gold went bust and all of the old uh, Ultimate properties became public domain, mm-hmm. I think. Uh so like, well, as far as we know, Jetpack is definitely public domain because Nintendo have used it in their re-release of Donkey Kong sixty-four. Uh, Rare are still using it. Um, I imagine, from what I've been told, you know, you could just go out and release Jetpack tomorrow and <laughs> make money from it. Like, I um, wonder, like the games themselves, if they're public domain. I'm wondering if the IPs themselves are owned by Rare now, because I could have sworn that like a Saber Wolf at least was trademarked. I could be wrong, though. Again, we probably should have done our research yeah. before we recorded. Because <laughs> I could have sworn that like the Game Boy Advance box had like a trademark next to the logo, or maybe just the logo was trademarked and not the game. I don't know. Yeah, they uh, they probably do. I don't really know, to be honest. I, I suppose that could be a uh, subject for a future episode. <laughs> we could look into the uh, legal history of Rare IPs, which we know going forward, it wasn't just the Ultimate Years, but obviously yeah, Donkey yeah. Kong and GoldenEye issues. <laughs> Exploring copyright issues. Ooh, fun. Fasc- 
We'll have a lawyer on and everything, charging us about $80 an hour. <laughs> Please donate money. <laughs> um, okay, well, yeah, so the news then. Um, yeah, I think we're going to narrow it down. We're not going to do 32 years worth of updates in a... Yeah, I- I'm going to assume that everyone knows it at least up until the late 90s, or you probably would not be listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> well... Okay, well, I mean, we we can use... I'll tell you what, I mean, we can use ukulele as a good starting point. Yeah, as... just to me, like, ukulele really kind of marked the sort of resurgence in this whole kind of fandom. Um, because up until that, like, I don't think anyone really thought anything was coming ever. I mean, granted, yeah, I mean... it's not a rare game, I mean, but it kind of is at the same time. <laughs> well, I... You know, I mean, you could see them as kind of like a separate freelance division of Rare because, I mean, it's isn't it like only two of their staff are completely new? The rest are all ex-Rare. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they have uh, Andy Robinson. Um, he was like an editor at a video game mag, I believe. And I can't remember the name of the girl. I think she was called Becky. Um, and she's like this uh, graduate... And she made a really awesome, like, uh, random Zelda dungeon generator. And I guess they, yeah, like, met her at, like, a that. job fair or something and are really impressed by her. She seems really impressive, so she seems like a good fit. Oh, well done, Becky. Yeah. <laughs> well done from all of us here at Rare Fans. Rare Friends. Oops. Oh, we're Rare Fans um, and Rare Friends. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, so I think... Yeah, when Project Ukulele was announced, that kind of kick-started the uh, revival, renaissance, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I remember at the time, uh, Chad and Hyle from DK Vine were kind of hinting that something was coming from Rare themselves. And I believe it was Phil Spencer who tweeted around this time saying he'd been he'd been to Twycross to personally check out the new Rare. Yeah. And the new Rare game in development, and he said, well, these guys are back, or something like that. He said, this is classic Rare. Um, I mean, at the time, I kind of thought, uh, yeah, maybe it's a bit of hyperbole, or maybe it'll be another Killer Instinct situation where we all get hyped up, and then we find out they've actually outsourced one of their IPs. Yeah. But but it did feel like there's something different coming. and It felt different, and you know, Phil Spencer was also talking about that time how he didn't want Rare to be the Connect studio. So it was really sounding like we weren't sure what it was, but it was pretty certain not to be Connect Sports Season 4, which I think at, at the most got me curious. Like, I mean, I wasn't sure what was happening, but it was like, there was the, I was more hopeful than I'd been in a while, but still a little cautious since I didn't want to get kind of like sad again if it was just something, you know, like maybe it was like, Connect sports, but without the motion controls or something like that. <laughs> well, Dave, don't lie. I think we would give up everything. We'd give up ukulele. We'd give up rare replay. We'd give up Sea of Thieves if it meant we could get Connect Sports Season Four, Connect Rivals Two. Well, that would be the ultimate game. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I don't want to be too hard on those guys. I mean I've ne- I've personally only played the original very briefly because Kinect just isn't my thing. I'm not into motion games. Yeah. Really. But from what I can tell, they're still 
very well made for what they are. I mean, they look beautiful. Yeah, they. I, I actually quite enjoy the Connect Sports Rivals. Um, there's definitely some issues, but the graphics are beautiful in some places. And I really liked the fact that at least, I can't really speak for the first two, but from what I saw of the first two, they didn't really look like Rare games so much. And Rivals actually, to me, kind of at least felt a little bit like a Rare game, because I like the fact that it takes place on an island, you know, Rare loves islands. And you see, like, these little, sometimes, like, crashed pirate ships in the background. You see little references to other games, like, you see the Datadyne logo. And then they had, like, DLC for, like, uh, Battletoads stuff and Banjo-Kazooie stuff and Viva Pinata. So it was it was definitely some, like, interest in their IPs. You could see kind of being reunited at that point. And I think, I'm trying to think of that was the time that, um, why can't I remember his name? Studio head of Rare, his name is like... Craig Duncan. Good. Craig Duncan. I, f- I know he was there before that, but I feel that was probably when he kind of took to power more. Because I know there was that uh, other guy that uh, Microsoft sent from the States over there to supervise for a while, and then he like left for Lionhead. Yeah, and then Craig Duncan kind of took yeah. the reins. and. I remember at first, like there was kind of a backlash against Duncan because he uh, he made a couple of controversial statements. I think the one was that uh, rare fans don't know what they want, which I think pissed everyone <laughs> off. And, yeah, like and we know exactly what we want. We want Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a really controversial statement when he said. Um, uh, we've made the best video bowling ever, 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 or something, which I'm not going to rag on the guy because uh, from what I've seen this year, he seems like a really nice guy. And at the end of the day, he had a job to do. You know, yeah. he was employed by Microsoft. He had to plug his own game. Um, and to be fair, it was a pretty good digital bowling game, if that's what you're into. And I, I well, do I'll, th- I'll have to take your word for yeah, that. Yeah, I, I do think that Rare did a really good job at achieving what they set out to do with the Kinect Sports games. And Fair I can't enough. fault them at all for what they did with that. It's just not exactly what we, as like Rare fans, wanted to see from them. So I fault more that it's probably the decisions that got made that, you know, the next few games are going to be Kinect Sports games rather than the work they went into it themselves, which I think was pretty top-notch, personally. But yeah, well, I mean, I've got the demo of Rivals on my one. I've just never booted it up, so maybe I should check it out and see what I think, really. Yeah, I mean, it is motion gaming, so for, for us that don't like that that much, it's there's always going to be that. And I, I find that I can't really play it in long bursts, but sometimes it's kind of fun just to pretend you're on a little wake, wake ski, whatever they call those things. Jet ski, <laughs> wake ski. I don't know what wake you're talking ski. about. Wake ski, yes. Yeah, the, uh, the Russian vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> it's the wake ski. <laughs> this was the Russian spies drive. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. So, yeah. So we came into this year um, with like five years of Connect Sports behind us. Um, back to what we said before. Yeah, ukulele was announced um and then obviously when they unveiled the game like when they first showed uh oh, did they i'm trying to think did, what did they show first i mean i know we had that the image of the eyes in the bushes but then when they officially announced 
what it actually was and that it was called ukulele mm -hmm. did that go did that come with a video or was it just a promotional render um i'm pretty sure we got a video when it was first because we when it was first actually announced as uh ukulele or maybe we just got the render and the video came like a few days later i can't quite remember I know when it was just Project Ukulele, all we had, we had the eyes, and then we had two, uh, we had a screenshot of the hub world and a screenshot of, like, the first jungle world. But no characters were seen, though. And, okay, okay. Yeah. The, the timeline's a little hazy, because there's just so much this year. Um, so, but yeah, when and then we saw that in action, and the Kickstarter started, and, I mean... That thing, man, I really, you know, I, I wanted it to do well, but I don't think any of us prepared for how well that that was going to do. <laughs> I don't know. I remember I I was just taking my lunch um, uh, at work when it went live and I hadn't had a chance to, like, fund it yet. And by the time I got back from my lunch, it was fully funded. <laughs> I'm like, holy yeah. crap. <laughs> that was quick. And then they kept adding those goals as kicks, uh, the... Oh, what do they call them? Stretch goals. Stretch goals. I was going to say kick stones. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> they actually have a yeah. stone that they kick to represent um, reaching a new goal. They've broken a few yeah. windows. They just, uh, you know, they tape uh, Grant Kirkhope in his alley home kicking a stone. Like, all right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> if this stone can make it past my fence, you get one more fucking rap song. <laughs> Yeah, if he, if he, if they hit like three million pounds, he just takes out like a golf club and like smashes it into his neighbor's window. <laughs> and his neighbor's like, "What the fuck are you doing, Grant Kirko? And he's like, "It's my kickstone." Understood. Part of the funding oh. has to go for repairs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, so moving on from uh, we had. Yeah, ukulele in all its glory, and that was building up toward E3, and, um, God, I mean, I remember, was it like a day or two before E3, there was a rumor online that Rare were doing a collection, like a game collection? I think it was like the night before, like, I remember yeah. seeing that, I was like, holy crap, and then I just started, like, making game lists of what could possibly <laughs> be in it. <laughs> well, I, I remember I saw the rumor like a week earlier, but it didn't have you know thirty games, thirty dollars. Like yeah, that was the night before. But before that, I'd hear rumblings about a collection, mm -hmm. and you know I just kind of like as like a very, very, very vague hope. I said, okay, um, the banjo games, Perfect Dark, um, Conquer, uh, Blast Core. Uh, Battle toes. Yeah. Yeah, I like I guess like maybe ten games and I was like I was looking at the post and I thought I'm, I'm being really, really generous here. Like the, the, they're never gonna put ten games on a disc. Yeah, the most honestly I'd ever would have hoped for was maybe a three game banjo collection. Yeah. I thought that was probably all we'd ever get on kinda of like a remastered collection of rare stuff. But... Yeah. I mean when you look at the recent trend with like the Jack trilogy, mm -hmm. the Uncharted trilogy you know, um, and I mean, let's not forget what we ultimately got on Rare Replay. If you ignore all the pre 360 stuff, 360 alone, there's like nine games because there's like five retail games and four XBLA games. Uh, so, <laughs> ignoring all the classic stuff, that's like what 
two or three hundred dollars worth of game. Yeah. Right there. I know, no kidding. And then like Battletoads Arcade, I mean, you can't even get that anywhere. It's like yeah. shop for an arcade board on on eBay or something. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, that's that was I was definitely really happy about that being included because there hasn't really been like a legitimate way to play that at home. Aside of like you know, as I said, trying to like eBay something that may or may not work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I and I, I when I was watching the, did you watch the conference live? Yeah, I did. Um, well, I shouldn't have been watching it live because I was at work, but Ooh. I did keep a window open and I did see that. Well, I was lucky because over in the UK it was like um, five thirty p.m. I think. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the afternoon and. Um, like I had the day off work, and my friend came over, and he he kind of likes Rare, but he's not too heavily into it. And I kept saying to him, "This is Rare's year," and he was just like, "Dude, you're you know you're dreaming. This is a fantasy. <laughs> um, the most you'll get is you know Connect Sports Four. Or, I mean, not to go down that tangent again, but uh, and then like I said, no, no, we're going to get Banjo Three, and we're going to get a collection. And he was like, "You're never going to get Banjo Three." Um, it's like, why would they release a collection? Why would they announce it on stage? That's too niche for the Xbox audience. And I was like, dude, you'll see. And then, man, when that commercial, well, not commercial, the reveal video came on, and that guy was, you'll never forget your first game. <laughs> I know. I, I started to get hyped when, um, I don't know if you noticed, but you could see the very top of the Rare logo underneath Phil Spencer's jacket. Yeah. So when he first got up, I was like, is, is that the Rare logo? I said... See, I know there's a reason that jacket zipped up. <laughs> I said, I turned my friend, Dwayne, he's called, I turned to Dwayne and I said, that's the Rare logo. And he was like, fuck off. No, it's not. <laughs> that's the Rare logo. That's the Rare logo. And then, but, okay... Like I say, Dwayne, he's not too much into Rare. I mean, to put it into... Uh, yeah, put it for you. He he likes the DKC games. He loves Blast Core, likes Goldeneye. He couldn't get into Banjo. Kind of likes Viva Pinata. You know, so maybe like six or seven games he yeah. likes. So he's not a real rare fan. When Rare Replay was announced, he hyperventilated, and he was like, <laughs> "Fuck yes!" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't go wrong. There's something in that collection that like someone remembers fondly somewhere it's just too much history in that not to just bring a smile to someone's face or anyone's face i should say it's yeah i mean like i would have paid the 30 dollars for probably quite a few of just a single game in that collection like i would have paid 30 dollars to have a perfect dark in my xbox one again easily <laughs> same with banjo either of the banjo games would have been easily a 30 dollar purchase for me well, I, but they're like ten dollars on the XBLA. Right? Oh yeah, well, that, they, that's so. that's true. I mean, assuming that you know there wasn't backwards compatibility and all that, because I don't have a 360 more. Like, I'm yeah. not saying that that'd be a good deal. I'm just saying that I would legitimately pay that if I could to play those games. But that might yeah, be just okay. because I have a problem. Well, the, <laughs> no, I understand. I'm the same, dude. I mean, you know, I'm the guy who. Okay, little little tangent here, but. This year, it was really weird. Um, I got my old Nintendo 64 back from my ex-girlfriend um, and, like, a bunch of the games. And DK64, I hadn't played in, like, 10 years. And I thought, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to sit down and beat this game 101%, which I've, 
never done before. I think I got like ninety nine percent back back when it came out. Um, and this was March, February, March time. Um, yeah, I beat the game one hundred and one percent on the thirtieth of March, and then the next day the Wii U Virtual Console port was announced. I was like, shit. Uh, and in the UK, I don't know if you know, it came out that night after the Direct immediately. And yeah, I, like, I remember that because I remember being annoyed because I was like, I have to wait? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so I just threw down, it was like £8.99 over here. I just threw it straight down. A game I'd just beaten and been infuriated by. It was like, this is a rare classic available you know, I say in HD, it's not really HD, it's upscaled, but, you know, it was yeah, an it, easier way to play it. Um, and, and, and still, the fact, even just the fact that you're outputting through an HDMI cable to a modern TV rather than going through all that composite noisy ca- cables from the N64 that just look terrible no matter what you hook them up to. Yeah, I, I couldn't get my N64 to look good no matter what I did. I mean, I... I the. I screwed around with the settings, but when I was playing it on the Nintendo 64, like some of the colors are really, really bright and some are really dark. It didn't look right, but then, but anyway, I mean, the point of the story is I'm saying like that shows how crazy I'll go for rare. Immediately, I threw down (laughs) ten quid straight away for the game I just beat in the night. Yeah, yeah. And and no one believes me when I tell them the story because it sounds too bizarre to be true. (laughs) Fifteen and a half years after it came out, I finally beat it the night before the very first (laughs) re-release ever. (laughs) I I honestly didn't think that Nintendo was ever going to re-release that game. It just—it just seemed—it seemed too much. There seemed to be too much rare in that game. I felt for like Nintendo to want to like sort of dig up that past that they kind of buried a little bit. Yeah, and I think we didn't really know what was going on with Jetpack, yeah. and we thought, even if they wanted to attempt it, we thought Jetpack would probably hold them back, and yeah, I, but but yeah, I mean, that came out, so I suppose, yeah, that's part of the uh, revival as well, the fact that that game had its first exposure yeah. in so long. I mean, really, let's be, all that's left now is... GoldenEye and Diddy Kong Racing. Those are the only two which kind of vanished from history. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a Diddy Kong Racing DS, and you can still play that on the 3DS, so that's kind of something, I guess. Don't like s- I said, Diddy Kong Racing vanished from history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love that game. It's Oh, I love that I game. It's, I don't love it's my favorite kart racer of all time, and I really wish that something would come back at least with that format like i love like having the hub world and different objectives and the levels and it was more than just racing around well in in preparation for this podcast i was watching a youtube video um like the history complete history of rare and it was a really well-informed well-put-together video and then when they got to diddy kong racing the guy really casually said even though it was clearly a Mario Kart clone, it sold really well. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hate when people say that. Like, like people say that, said that about Banjo, too. It's like, not just a Super Mario 64 clone. Well, yeah, like, I mean, I it takes inspiration from it, because it's the same genre, but it, like, I don't know, maybe a lot of people will disagree with me, but it takes the formula and then just makes it way better. Like, yeah, exactly. It it did what Rare continually did through the 90s. They took Super Mario World and 
did Donkey Kong Country, they took Mario 64, did Super Mario 64, and, you know, they took Mario Kart and did Diddy Kong Racing. And, and even then, I mean, if you look back, I mean, it started as a 3D version of RC Pro-Am, which is a game that came out, what, six years before Super Mario Kart? Oh, uh, yeah, you might be right. It was like, nine, was it 90, 91? No, 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 the, the original, it was like... 87. Oh, was it? I'm thinking about RC Pro-Am 2 then, probably. Yeah, number 2 was like the very last NES game they made. But, um... Yeah, uh, num- yeah the, the original, it was like 87, I'm certain. Yeah, you're probably right. It was a pretty old game. So, <clears throat> so yeah, they really, like, laid the groundwork there for Super Mario Kart. And... <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not taken away from Super Mario Kart. I think... Um, the first three games were very, very good, and Mario Kart sixty four in particularly. I think it it's very unique. It has a really sort yeah. of dream dream like feel. I can't explain it. Like, I know. Um, I, I'm with you though. That's my favorite out of the whole series. I, yeah, I, there's something about it that I even though other games have more features, more stuff. There's just something about Super Mario or Mario Kart sixty four. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Certain it's, charm. It's got like um, this really dream, dreamlike uh, kind of otherworldly feel, mm-hmm. and um, like the music and the visuals. Like the, I think it's even that like the way the two D sprites are against the three D backgrounds. It's kind of it's so surreal. It's actually yeah. quite charming. So um, we're actually going against our Diddy Kong Racing argument here. But <laughs> what I'm saying is Nintendo. They managed to pump out a really, really good kart racer. But what Rare did, you know, they did a kart adventurer, and it was yeah. even today games aren't matching it. I think the closest we've come to matching it, actually, I don't know if you've ever played um, Sega All Star Racing Transformed. Um, is that? Th- I played one of them. Um, I'm trying to remember if that was. There's like two Sega racing games, and I'm trying to remember which one that was. Is that the more it, recent one? Yeah, the more recent okay. one. Okay. Yeah, I did play that one a little bit. I actually had it on uh, on the Vita, which probably ruined my enjoyment of it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it definitely seemed all right. Um, I kind of said I missed out on the one previous that uh, featured Banjo-Kazooie as well. I don't know how that one was. I had never played it, but I kind of wanted it. pretty good. It's, it's quite popular amongst um, like Banjo fans um, on, on DK Vibe. Yeah, like, like, yeah I... Even if it's not that great, I'd play it slowly because Banjo's hit it. I know that sounds just slightly fanboyish, but... <laughs> no, no, dude, I understand. It's yeah. cool. I mean, I I played the demo of the first one, but for some reason I never picked it up. Mm-hmm. But Transformed I actually got because it was when I had the Wii U. Uh, I got it on launch, and there was really nothing I wanted for it. And I thought, I saw Sega Transformed. Sega Racing Transformed for like like 15 20 pounds it was really cheap for some reason so I just picked it up and yeah I mean don't don't get me wrong I'm not saying for one minute that it's anywhere near Diddy Kong Racing level but mm-hmm. it's like the closest we've come in terms of varied racing like yeah. the, the way the transformations work in real time 
you kind of have to play it to... Re- oh, well, you said you did play it on the Vita, but no, play a console version if you ever get the chance. Pick it up. Yeah, it's... Uh, did that did that hit uh, Xbox One and PS4, or was that in the tail end? Because I know it was for Wii U. I'm oh. trying to remember if it's hitting the modern it, one. I can always pick it up on Wii U, if that's the case. But... I, it came out a year before Xbox and PS4, uh. and PS4 but... It might, you know, a few games did get re-released. I, I want to say it didn't get released on them. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm feeling too, because I feel that it probably, uh, probably just on the Wii U is probably the only console I have that I can play it on, which is fine. Yeah, so I enjoy it, my Wii U. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a very nice little tropical freeze box for me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, um, I think we've gone completely off topic. Yeah, we've <laughs> I think we were supposed to be talking about Rare News. Yeah, Rare News. Okay, right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Rare Replay was announced. That looked amazing. Sea of Thieves, we don't really know anything about it, but I think from the little we have seen and the tidbits we've been getting, I think this is going to be something pretty special. Yeah, just just to get another Robin Beanland soundtrack has me excited. And... You know, um, to get a Greg Mails headed project. I know that, and that too. Like having Mails and Beanland like back in the spotlight after kind of. I mean, they were there, but they weren't really front and center for like years. I don't remember the last time they really got talked about a lot. Um, well, I but... mean, he did. Obviously, uh, Mails did nuts and bolts, which yeah. you know, let's not get this subject for another week but uh, I mean we were talking about this a few days ago we're not quite sure what exactly his role was with Connect Sports um, I don't think he was like lead designer or yeah he, he's definitely in the credits um, same with uh, Robin Beanland but I'm not sure if he just maybe supervised recording voices because at least for Connect Sports uh, Rivals like 90% of the music is uh, licensed but he's oh, yeah which is kind of disappointing because when I got it I was kind of hoping oh maybe it'll be some new Beanland music but um, there, there might be a few bits and pieces in there that cause, that I just don't realize is not licensed that he did but yeah for the most part it's kind of just like popular songs okay but, well um, I guess maybe yeah he did maybe did a few um, like I don't know, menu themes or but I, I haven't played it so I've got no idea but. yeah and I think he's still he's still probably in charge of like a lot of the I think he's in charge of sound design too is he not or am I kind of I would imagine so I mean right? seeing so, as all the other guys left yeah <laughs> sadly sadly um no but I mean it's good to see those guys all still get on I mean uh I think it was um uh, at E3, I can't remember who said someone on the DK Vine forum. It might have been MF Wolf. He was one of the guys who went to E3. He said that he saw um, Robin Beanland was showing Grant Kirkhope Rare Replay, and he made him put the, some headphones <laughs> on to listen to the introduction Yeah, I remember song. that. I think there's um, actually a couple pictures too of uh, a lot of them hanging together. There's. Yeah, because I think Beanland and Grant Kirkhope went out to like lunch, and I think there's a few pictures of them like catching up. Uh, same with Greg Miles. There's uh, like uh, at least a couple selfies of uh, Grant and uh, Greg. 
on the which is just so great to see them all still friends even though you know they're left at different times under different circumstances and you know some have been more outspoken than others mm -hmm. about what they think of Rev's direction and but it seems like there's still a real team yeah. in, in heart and <laughs> I think it was Ed Bryan that was joking that like you never really leave Rare or something like that that you keep getting pulled back in one way or the other <laughs> once you've been there well, I mean, if it wasn't for Robin Beanland, Grant Kirkhope would have never got the job in the first place. I yeah. don't know if you know that story. Oh, yeah, because, uh, yeah, I've heard uh, Grant uh, pretty much go over that a couple times, how they, like, played in a band together. Like, yeah. Uh, Robin got the job one way or the other, and then he just kind of like, hey, come on, try out, try out, it'll be fine. And then Grant was all hesitant, then thinking, you know, it wasn't going to be his, his kind of deal. And I guess the rest is kind of history. Yeah, well, it's it's crazy thing. He said he, he, he was sending cassette tape demos to Rare for like a year and never got a response and then randomly one day they call him up and they're like hey come in and like, <laughs> yep here you go make uh, they, they gave him uh, the Donkey Kong Country 2 soundtrack and said alright convert that to the Game Boy hardware <laughs> and yeah yeah that's that's quite the task I can yeah. and I mean fair play to him he did a very good job I think I mean obviously it's never going to be as good as the SNES version but I think he did a really good job converting yeah. some all those very... Donkey Kong Land games they use some kind of wizardry to get those looking as good as they did yeah and sounding as well yeah I mean when you compare like Super Mario Land yeah, good game, but you compare their very simple bleepy bloopy soundtrack mm -hmm. to sort of. I mean, just listen to the eight bit Stickerbush Symphony, like. Yeah, it's. I think that was kind of always like uh, one of Rare's things was taking hardware and just making it do things that you did not think was possible. Yeah, like Conker's Bad Fur Day for the N sixty four, looking like an Xbox original launch game <laughs> i know i'm still like i i honestly think that the facial movements and expressions are way better in the n64 version than the xbox version and that's <laughs> that's kind of still really impressive to think yeah yeah i mean uh right so again we kind of go off track that's <laughs> uh, it's it happens it happens it so oh uh, yeah somehow sea of thieves turned into that but I guess the, the moral of that is that we're all very excited about Sea of Threes. Sea of, sea of, sea of Threes. Now uh, that would thieves. be a brilliant title for the third game. <laughs> sea of Threes. That is a really good... I don't think they would come up with the second one then. Uh, I don't know. Well, they could, they, could do, they could do something typically rare. They could just do a sequel called Sea of Threes. Sea. And the, subti the subtitle could be like, We lost the second one. Can you find it? <laughs> the second one met Jamie Jones' locker. <laughs> David Jones, like that. hey, that's David the name Jones. of the host. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that I make some cameos in Sea of Thieves. I'm sure you will. I mean, my locker is in uh, Banjo-Tooie. And I enjoyed I <laughs> your appearance in... Were you were you in uh, Black Flag? I can't remember. Were you one of the guys in there? Uh, you know, I'm not sure either. I know Blackbeard was. I'm sure you should be able to remember your own role, but okay. Uh, <laughs> See, I get a lot of roles, you know. Pirate's yeah. life and all that. <laughs> well, I was very impressed by Bill Nye's, uh, you know, version of you. I thought it was, uh, I mean, that must have been quite sobering, having such a an esteemed actor playing you. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's, it was an honor, you know, that's all I could say. <laughs> so, um, linking this in and going full circle before we move on, Sea of Thieves, um, 
the rare guys uh, released like a two minute sort of not teaser but like a little sort of nod to the fans a few days ago uh, about like the ongoing development which just turned out to be a joke video <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah awesome. it was basically like this talk like a pirate day uh video where they like had these you know it was kind of obviously fictional but they had like these two pirate consultants teaching them all how to be bloodthirsty and selfish wait wait it, wait fictional okay yeah you're you're right clearly those exist and i'm sure captain bones was involved thank god My bad. <laughs> yeah i mean that was i mean was it adam park like oh i never thought i could swim away from a shark <laughs> <laughs> he's all shivering and wet yeah poor little guy oh to give god him a i love as greg mayles his amazing shit acting if you get what <laughs> yeah. i mean i'm not saying he's a shit actor i'm saying he's good at purposefully being bad yeah 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 <laughs> yeah oh. it, it, it was it, it was pretty good stuff and it's it's definitely worth a watch and you know you might catch a little few glimpses of uh some like little artwork and stuff uh in the background from cfds that we haven't seen before yeah like, i'm pretty so sure i saw a water wheel being worked on behind one of the animators or one of the artists. Really? Yeah, it looked like some kind of... Ah, I can't remember who it was or what her name was. But they were interviewing this woman, and if you look back on her screen, it looked like she had kind of like a model program or an art program open, and there was like this little water wheel or something. Huh. I guess I'll have to go check out that video again at rarefriends.net. Mm-hmm. It's the place to be. The place to be. <laughs> um, so there's two other things that were released this week by Rare. Uh, do you want to go ahead and tell them? Uh, yeah, we had um, two extra Rare Revealed videos that did not make the cut for Rare Replay, uh, one focusing on uh, development of Nuts and Bolts, and the other focusing on Banjo-Tooie. And uh, yeah, it was definitely a pretty good watch. I don't think there was... I don't think there was anything particularly groundbreaking revealed, but it was always just kind of cool to like see those guys talking through their like thought processes for the different features i think yeah. i think the nuts and bolts video was actually the better video to watch yeah. because i you know whatever you think about the quality of the individual games themselves um the the nuts and bolts video uh it was interesting to hear all these things we've never had actually confirmed mm -hmm. directly from them where they actually said no look we had this idea it was always banjo you know we wanted to change the way you approach platform platforming challenges yeah whether you agree with that or not yeah you know, so i think there was always this rumor going around that they made a cool vehicle building game uh thought the ip was weak and then like dropped banjo kazooie in at the last minute or something like that yeah so that was that was pretty much cleared away as being completely false which which was nice i think it, it gets... I don't want to get too much into nuts and bolts, as you said, because that's turned into a very long conversation. But I think it is a little bit unfairly looked at. Yeah, I think nuts and bolts is a perfectly decent game. Not the worst game Rare's ever done. Certainly not the best. But it's definitely worth checking out. And it's especially... Whether you've played it or not, check out that Rare Revealed video. Uh, check the Banjo-Tooie one too, which is cool, but it didn't really tell us anything new. It was more kind of what we already know they were yeah. just talking about um like yeah we, we had this game banjo and we thought let's make it bigger 
I, I'm hoping for some. Um, I don't know if you remember, if you follow Rare on Twitter, but um, they posted um, a screenshot of Banjo two point or two point five D when they first announced that they were going to be doing more of these Rare revealed videos. So I'm wondering if we're going to kind of see some um, some new videos of uh, stuff we've never seen before, like some kind of like previously unseen stuff, but set be like you know versions of the games that never saw the light of day. Oh, I really hope so. Yeah, because I mean, that was almost kind of hinted at, but it wasn't really said. And then we got the first videos we got was obviously Nuts and Bolts and Banjo Tui. But I feel like they wouldn't have dropped that screenshot if they weren't planning on showing a little bit more. Well, I think that was the one thing I was a little bit disappointed in with the Rare Replay unlockable videos. Um, spoiler alert, all the revealed un- uh, previously unseen videos were Xbox projects um Mm -hmm. and fast and the furious was the only one remotely related to banjo i mean i was kind of hoping we'd see uh some project dream early banjo stuff yeah um but i mean if we can get that now uh you know know, sort of from from the guys through twitter i'm 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 guessing that probably maybe a reason behind that is that a lot of the guys making rare replay worked on those games and they kind of wanted to see the light of day so maybe that's why those four were, or five were picked. But yeah, and yeah. they all look like quite interesting games. Have oh you, yeah, have you unlocked all of the? Uh, yeah, I have all of them now. Um, I'm level twenty three. I think like three stamps away from hitting twenty four. I think um, I'm gonna get the dream music next, which I'm actually pretty excited about because I have refused to listen to that until I unlock it, and I'm very excited because I believe it's, uh, I believe it's the, it's the David Rise track, correct? Not the Grant Grant Kirkhope's music. For, for which which game? Sorry. Project Dream. The Project Dream theme? Uh, or is that Grant? I'm pretty sure it's Grant. Um, or is it? I know, okay. Yeah, because one of them is uh, Gloomy Gallon from DK64, but the original Dream version. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure they're all Grant. I mean, I would check now, but I don't really want to boot my Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could have sworn that David Wise was involved in one of the tracks released, but I could be wrong. Possibly. I know he started out doing the music for it. Yeah, um, I, I'm pretty sure all the tracks on Rare Replay uh, on the Dream section of Grant Kirk. Okay. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Well, that's fine. I love Grant's music, too. I mean, yeah. but to me, the David Wise's stuff is almost a little bit more interesting because I think most of Grant's work was reworked into, like, uh, you know, DK64, Viva Pinata. And Wise's work is pretty much probably non existent unless he worked, reworked it into something we don't know about, which he very well could have. Yeah, I think, especially when you consider the timing that Dream was being developed, David Wise at that point was, I think he was in a possibly the most experimental phase of his career, like the DKC2 soundtrack and um, some of the Diddy Kong racing stuff, um, you wouldn't really expect from that kind of game, and I, I, I mean Dream came right at that time, and I, I, yeah, he probably did some really interesting tracks. Um, not to, like you say, not to knock Grant Kirkhope. I mean, they're both fucking incredible at what they do. Uh, in fact, I, I probably I couldn't even pick one over the, over the other. I think they are both incredible artists, and they they both have very very different styles. And it's really hard for me to like really compare them and say he's better, or he's or, you know this guy's better because what, they're so different. What I really like about Grant though, as well, is that you know I think a lot of people associate him with more sort of melody based mm-hmm. um, you know fun tracks 
Uh, whereas, I mean, it's easy to forget, like, his Goldeneye Perfect Dark work, especially Perfect Dark, like, the sort of atmospheric trance. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, if, if you listen closely, you can hear a little bit. I think there was a couple tracks, I think it was in Perfect Dark, that almost almost sounded a little bit like uh, it could be in, like, Gratilda's Castle or something. There's a couple little couple little notes in there that sound reminded me a little bit but yeah for the most part like i honestly uh didn't even realize it was the same composer till later yeah i, I mean i'm i'm quite ashamed to admit back in the 90s i didn't know well i didn't really know much about the staff when i was a kid anyway but yeah. i had no idea grant kirkhope even worked on perfect dark or, <laughs> or Con I back then um i just i knew him as the banjo guy because i, I kind of paid attention to the credits um, yeah, and I could definitely tell a difference in the music because to me, though, when I was really first aware of Grand Kirkhope, is probably when Banjo came out, and it was just it was very different than what I was expecting. Because up at that point, I was kind of expecting like uh, something from like Donkey Kong Country, the more atmospheric music, and then we kind of had this really like bouncy, super catchy themes that would just stick in your head forever, which was just completely perfect for it. Yeah, perfect, and the whole. Uh, thing he would do with like the fe- the tracks sort of fading into different rhythms and stuff when you went into different parts of the level was like I don't think there's anything quite like that at the time and it really isn't used that much today even yeah, which is and, a shame and, and what's what's amazing about his work on Banjo and DK64 is it's hard to pick a favourite like every day I've got a different favourite like I remember um, about two months ago I got really 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 drunk I was listening to Crystal <laughs> Crystal Crystal Caves or Crystal Caverns from DK I think it's Crystal mm-hmm. Caves. Um, and I, I sort of embedded the link <clears throat> to the video on Grant Kirkhope's Facebook wall, his personal profile, and I was like drunkenly typed Grant, you fucking brilliant genius. This is the best fucking song ever written. <laughs> and he replied, it was like, Cheers, mate. It's quite good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I definitely go back and forth too. I, I think I'm really kind of fond of uh, Freeze Easy Peak right now. There's something about the intro to that that's just like, you know, I don't know. Just just makes you in a good mood, no matter what. Yeah, Freeze Easy Peak's a great one. And I mean, that was probably one of my high points of my. Uh, uh, nuts and bolts playthrough when you mm-hmm. first reach, ba- reach Banjo Land and the freeze easy peak section of that uh, medley. Oh. I know. Um, <laughs> look, I understand people don't like the gameplay of Nuts and Bolts, but that soundtrack is just complete gold. Like, it is. It is. I, I think it's probably one of. I think it's probably Grant's best soundtrack. I know he didn't do all of it because I think Beanland did a few tracks, but. Um, that is, that is a really quality soundtrack. It's just hearing all that stuff in full orchestra is amazing. I think, yeah, I mean, Showdown Town, I could listen to that for hours. I mean, I did <laughs> sometimes. When I was, Sometimes I'd just collect notes and vehicle parts. I wouldn't leave Showdown Town for over an hour, and the music never got annoying. And that's that's not to knock Gruntilda's Lair or Isle of Hags, but I can't imagine listening to that for an hour straight. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit annoyed. <laughs> Yeah, it's catchy, but almost too catchy to listen yeah. to it constantly. Like, I just think of all the hags, and you just think that for like an hour. Yeah, it's 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 good stuff. So yeah, I think that kind of brings us up to date on the rare news. That section probably went on for like forty minutes longer than I expected. Yeah. 
Um, we're, not, we're not not quite an hour yet, so we still got we still got some time. <laughs> we still got some time. Uh, now, do you want to tell our listeners you had a uh, very interesting discovery recently, didn't you? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so, um, because you don't know, I live uh, I live right on a uh, pretty close to uh, the Great Lakes in Michigan, and I was just strolling the beach the other day, and I uh, I stumbled upon a very strange looking crate. Um, very waterlogged, and there seemed to be several mysterious uh, logos on it, one of which was uh, the Isle of Hag post. Um, so I cracked that sucker open, and I seemed to have come into possession of some very unique uh, personal journals and diaries. And uh, I think you guys might be interested to it. You might have to crack these open. I think they're going to give some insight into some people we all know and love. I don't know if I want to say too much more than that yet, but... Uh, now, what I love about this discovery is that it's so believably realistic like it, it's you are telling the truth i mean that's a fact that's scientific <laughs> fact scientific definitely yeah. <laughs> um wow i mean i think what you're gonna have to do you're gonna have to dust off those journals treat them with very great care because you don't want to you don't want to rip those pages or smudge the uh the wet ink so, dude, take a couple of weeks to dry them up and translate. Are they written in English, or haven't you checked yet? Um, there seem to be a couple different languages. Um, one of them looked like it was written entirely in uh, musical notes. It was a little bit confusing, but uh, I'm pretty sure that it may be some form of communication. I really can't wait to hear <laughs> some of this, because, I mean... I imagine, like, I mean, let's say, for example, Isla Hags, let's say Banjo wrote a journal. Would he write in sort of really eloquent English, or would it be like... I know, that, that, that's a very good question, because, I mean, I get the feeling when you're playing Banjo that this is probably a subtitle translation. So, you know, is this... Like, how, how, how is this going to be when he actually writes down his own native tongue? You know, we don't really know how he writes. Well, thank God that you are uh, an expert translator. That's <laughs> your secret moonlight job. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to hearing exactly what you find, uh, maybe in time for the next episode. Maybe. <laughs> um, I guess the next item on the agenda is we don't really have anything for this yet because uh, we just started but where you might have a little mailbag going thing going on so if you want to send us any sort of questions uh, comments insults hopefully not death threats <laughs> um, you can do that if you email rare and friends uh, at gmail.com um, again that's rare and friends at gmail.com and it's the word and a and d so don't try putting the symbol in there because it won't work. Or you could join the forum on rarefriends.net and uh, you could post in the dedicated questions for the logcast thread, which by the time you hear this will definitely be up. <laughs> yes, it would, it would be very appreciated. We're, the forum's pretty new right now, um, so it's... It's going to be a good place for uh, discussing things related to this podcast, though. And, uh, you know, rather than just screaming at your uh, speakers about how crap we are, you can do it on the forums. So, yeah. Well, Get on that. 
Okay, alright then. Um, now, the next segment, again, we don't have anything ready for it, but uh, we, are looking, we are going to be looking at the history of Rare Developers. Uh, we're going to be sort of um, taking an in-depth look at the career paths of specific developers um, and pick a different one each week it could be mm-hmm. someone really really famous like uh you know david wise or greg males or we could go for some of the more obscure ones like um uh well they're obscure so i can't think of any <laughs> <laughs> some guy who coded some game yeah i mean we don't know me, his name yet and we could find out <laughs> yeah i mean every single staffer is just important as the next mm-hmm. so I look forward to uh, yeah we, we're going to have sort of a um, sort of like mini history about uh, various developers yeah. each week. Um, and on that note, if you would rather um, sort of if you're a developer at pair past and present, if you'd rather uh, it come from your own mouth rather than us trying to figure out stuff on our own, we would love to have you on the show. Um, it would, would definitely be a great honor to have anyone from rare past or present. And that would at least keep the record straight rather than us getting possibly inaccurate information from wikis. <laughs> so well, there you have it. The challenge has been set. Indeed. <laughs> we promise we won't bite. Maybe. You do. <laughs> no promises from Kev. <laughs> All right. Um, so um, we're probably... Maybe more than halfway through, depending on how long this next segment takes. But this is actually the main segment, and we thought, for some bizarre reason, the best way to start a rare podcast would be to talk about Perfect Dark Zero. And that's going to be kind of our focus um, this episode. You know, if... Yeah, Perfect Dark Zero, <laughs> probably possibly one of the most, like, I can't even say polarizing, just like... It's off the charts how varied the reactions to this game have been over the years. Uh, it's, yeah, I, it's a, it's a it's, very it's up, interesting. It's game. up and down. It, there was a time people were just like really loving on the multiplayer, and I think that only didn't last that long. And then people got other games, and they started looking back on it less fondly. Call of Duty Two. Yeah. Call of Duty Four. <laughs> Like, this is where it's at now. We don't need none of these Joannas and Darks. Yeah, like, who would want to play as a woman? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All the dude bros. (laughs) You know, I I, I refuse to play a game now if the main character's biceps are smaller than my entire body. (laughs) Exactly. And they can't have any hair. If there's any hair on a character, it's just unacceptable. That's not me. Hair is a sign of femininity, and as as you know, people who know us know. You know, we hate women and we love manly men. And that's a... Mhm. I'm offended when there's a female in the video game. It's just, it just, it's, it makes me mad because that's not realistic for women to exist. I think Platonic should fire Becky, and I think that water wheel developing woman from Sea of Thieves should go work at a cleaning company. Uh, shit. No, none of that was true. We love yeah, women. Yeah, pl- please, please don't believe any of those things we just said. 
<laughs> we, so, we appreciate you, Becky. Please stay at Platonic forever and do interviews and possibly be on our show. Yeah, and Mrs. Water Wheel, you know, keep cranking out that water wheel. I look forward to interacting. I, I think we really need to watch that again so we can actually get her name next episode. <laughs> I remember the one you're talking about. Yeah. Um, she's got like a really thick Midlands accent, like which is not too different from mine. And she's mm-hmm. like, I'm making this game, and the water wheel is my my my, my life's dream. Uh, <laughs> if there's anyone not offended, please reach out to us. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've got too bad yet. I, don't think, I think we've got too bad. we're not honestly uh, probably pretty tame in comparison to uh, uh, the DK Vine guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they got Chris Sutherland. The fuck. Yeah. Right, okay, so um, right, I suppose first of all we should have a very brief overview of, um, like, uh, it's a brief history of Perfect Dark and GoldenEye, I mean, again, we kind of don't want to go too in-depth because these games deserve spotlights of their own later on, uh, but um, do you want to kind of explain how this all started with GoldenEye? Uh, yeah, so... Um, a little history of how GoldenEye started is probably a little bit hazy right now, but basically they made GoldenEye, which was uh, hailed as probably one of the greatest first-person shooters of the time. Um, oh, I'd after... say it was hailed as one of the greatest games of the time. Yeah, I know. I mean, there was nothing like that on consoles, and definitely one of the greatest games of all time, one of my personal favorites. Uh, but after that concluded, it you know just sold a t- crap ton of uh, copies... I believe, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I remember reading that uh, the game was actually more profitable, profitable than the movie it was based off of, which I don't really find it hard to believe if that's true. Really? Um, I'm, uh, yeah, that, that could be completely made up. <laughs> but I know I read it somewhere on the interwebs, and the interwebs, interwebs is always right. Well, okay, let's, let's think about this. Um, it sold 8 million copies. Let's do some quick math. Um, it sold 8 million copies, roughly. Um, I mean, and what did it cost? Like sixty dollars back then? Uh, it had to have been fifty or sixty. So I can't remember, it was a while ago. I mean, I don't know what the uh, what the the profit ratio margin would be. I mean, should we say half that? Should we say half of that was profit? I don't. I don't I've got no idea. Do you? <laughs> I don't either. So let's just make things up. Okay, let's say. Okay, well, let's be generous. Let's say they made forty dollars from each cart sold. Um, so 40 times 8 million is a uh, lot, a lot, (laughs) Um, no, I mean, that's, that's like what, just, that's like 280 million, let's say 300 million, I'm sure the movie, but then again, I suppose, yeah, the movie probably had a really big budget because it was a big revamp, so it might not have been as profitable as, okay, okay, like, like I honestly, like, when people talked about Goldeneye around that time, I feel like it was the game. And the people were like, oh yeah, there was also a movie. <laughs> yeah. It, it was just like so just blindsided by the game as being that's what Goldeneye was. It wasn't a bad movie though. I actually really enjoyed the Bond movie as well. Oh, I love the movie. I mean, I yeah. watched the movie after I played the game and I think the movie was even more special to me because I was like... Fuck! That's from the game. That's from the game. Everything that was from the game. <laughs> I and, know. If I, I, I keep feeling that it's a movie based on the game. I know the game's based yeah. on the movie, but to me, it is. I mean, rare's attention to detail, and we know from what we found out since they briefly visited the set, but it was most most of the stages were 
recreated based on blueprints mm-hmm. um, of the sets. And man, you watch the movie and it's almost one to one. Like the facility plan, the uh, <clears throat> the archives, the bunker. It was yeah. <laughs> It's pretty crazy how close to the movie it was, especially for the Nintendo sixty four era. I mean, yeah it it was definitely something special, and um, if I remember right too, it was supposedly uh, defunded uh, by Nintendo during development, <laughs> and then Rare just finished it themselves, and I guess re got funding at some point. <laughs> yeah, apparently like, N- Nintendo cancelled it for like a month at one point. Yeah. And like, don't work on this. And they're like, yeah, let's just keep working on it. Maybe they'll change their mind later. <laughs> and it worked out for them, definitely. Uh, but I guess kind of the point with this whole discussion of GoldenEye is um, it sold a lot of copies. Um, and it came to the point where, you know, they need to decide if they're going to do a sequel or not, which was pretty much they knew they were going to. And they didn't really want to go with the Bond license, which is completely understandable. You know, you made this big blockbuster game and you not going to have any sort of creative ownership over the characters or world um and that's kind of how perfect dark was born it was basically taking the engine and gameplay of goldeneye and uh, putting it into this new sci-fi world with new characters and this new secret agent uh joanna dark and uh yeah that's kind of the brief premise i don't know if you want to touch any more on yeah that well um i should add to that the the development of perfect dark itself was a bit tumultuous because Martin Hollis, director, left like halfway through development. Oh yeah, the whole free radical uh, split off. Uh, no, no, no. Martin Hollis left uh, to work at Lionhead. It was the other guys who went to. Oh, that's right. Didn't Martin? No, wait. Didn't Martin oh, no, Hollis on. go to like no, no, no. Tsunami or something weird? Hang on, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> no, Martin Hollis. Actually, I'm completely wrong. He he may have gone to Lionhead at some point, but no, he ended up at Nintendo and helped develop the GameCube. That's oh really? Was. Yeah, he actually really weird. He ended up working for I, I guess probably NOE Nintendo of Europe, but I might uh, be wrong. But he helped. He was one of the sort of designers of the GameCube hardware. <laughs> that's which, that's that's interesting. Which is just crazy. You think like um, a junior developer, <clears throat> like a, a few years previous, you know, Goldeneye was his first game, and then he ended up, you know having the kind of pull to just walk into a job at mm-hmm. Nintendo proper and help develop their new hardware. I mean, at that point, you like, you know, I mean, you have GoldenEye on your resume. I imagine that's just, you know, having that at that time would be like, you know, probably like the guys who created Call of Duty. That would be that big of a pull back then. Well, even and, more so, because, I mean, Call of Duty, I'm sure those guys all get work, but... It's such a large project now. It's like, and mm-hmm. so many people are working on those same kind of games. There's probably like, you know, for every game developer, probably like fifty out of one hundred could do that. Whereas yeah. back then, Goldeneye was such a unique. You know, you had the Doom guys and the Wolfenstein guys, but what Goldeneye did was so unique. And yeah, they made they made it work on a console. And the N64 of all consoles with its wacky controller. Wacky controller. <laughs> and they designed a game that worked perfectly and arguably the best with that wacky controller. Oh, yeah. I mean, it feels like the Z-Trigger... Sorry, Z-Trigger. I'm getting too Americanized. The, <laughs> the Z-Trigger was designed 
for Golden Knight, which it wasn't. We know it wasn't, but it feels like it was. I mean, that moment when I first played Golden Eye, it just hit me. I was like, "Shit, this is a gun trigger." <laughs> Until then, it was like Mario's ass button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know, and the implementation of uh, the C buttons for strafing and things like that was genius. I it mean, was, at yeah. that point, you didn't have more than one, uh, you know, control stick, and people didn't really have to consider having another control stick. And it basically took something that was intended to use for camera controls and sort of. I mean, obviously, it wasn't like the dual stick configuration we know now. But it was kind of an early concept of what eventually became dual stick controls for shooters. And it's so easy to slip back into. That's a weird thing. Like, um, uh, me and uh, my friend, uh, every Wednesday night, we do like a charity gaming night at a local mm-hmm. pub. And a few weeks ago, we had a Golden Knight tournament. And I mean, I hadn't picked up the game for a few years at this point. And I was really worried the controls were going to throw, throw me off. But. No, I just, it's like my muscle memory for that game, even though I'm so used to playing dual stick shooters now, it just, I picked it straight back up instantly and it felt right, which is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's timeless and maybe one day we'll get that uh, Xbox remake we've all been dreaming of. <laughs> I mean, an actual real remake, not that thing from like 2010 that was not really a remake but advertised as one yeah the less said about that the better yeah <laughs> right. um but okay right so moving forward um yeah perfect dark we say that was released martin hollis left halfway through but the project still turned out yeah really well um obviously it came out right at the end of the nintendo 64's lifespan so much like Banjo Tooie and Conker, it didn't really sell as well as they hoped, but it's still I think it shifted like two million units, which uh, quite, that sounds about right. That's quite impressive when you think it was you know, the Dreamcast was okay, okay, don't worry about the Dreamcast. But <laughs> the, the PS two dropped like three months later, I think. Like three or four months after the uh, Perfect Dark came out. Yeah, um, Actually, yeah, was Perfect Dark out in 1999? No, 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 Perfect Dark came out in like May 2000, and then the PS2 came out like September, October 2000. I feel like it was definitely the fall, because at least in the States, it was Dreamcast, I remember it dropped in like September uh, 99. Yeah, it was 9999. so I guess they went with that worldwide, probably. Um, yeah, it was the same over here. Well, no, Japan had it in 98, but, you know, oh, okay. that's another yeah. story. Yeah, and then the PlayStation 2, I know, was in 2000 sometime. Um, I feel like it had to have been the fall, because I remember it being like a hot Christmas item. So it might have been like September, November, something like that. Kind of forget the point of why we were talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I was just saying, yeah, Perfect Dark, because it came out amidst the sort of birth of the next generation. Yeah, yeah. As well. I mean, I think if they'd gotten it out when they originally intended to for Christmas 99, I think it would have probably sold twice as much. Yeah. I think they just missed the mark. Well, what was kind of interesting, too, about the timing is um, that's also when the uh, first Time Splitters game came out, shortly yeah. after that, and that was uh, uh, the 
made by Free Radical, who was an offshoot of the Perfect Dark Golden Eye team. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, so they like competed against their own game almost. And I really, I really like Time Splitters, especially Time Splitters too. But I mean, Perfect Dark, I, I think the the level of customization in that game it hasn't been matched today. I know. <laughs> it, one day maybe, but probably not because um, most all the customization options are so. Uh, local multiplayer centric that I doubt it's going to be worth anyone's time to put them in a modern game customization in shooters now is just you know different loadouts and that's it really you know level up to improve your weapons and change your loadout I mean you've been getting a little bit more nowadays with some uh, visual customization that's actually been getting a bit better but because of the way everything is now with online and online playlists don't really have any control over what actually happens in the game itself pre-game like with perfect dark you could tweak everything you could have bots you could not have bots you could change bot personality you could entirely change every weapon location to whatever weapon you wanted it to be and you know there's nothing like that today Uh, i mean i guess i guess uh some of the custom matches in halo can come a little bit close but even that is not nearly as much as what Perfect Dark had. Yeah, no, no. Um, yeah, Perfect Dark was kind of like the benchmark of quality. Um, and then, so obviously after that, <clears throat> it led into development of a sequel pretty quickly. Uh, I believe, was it E3 2001? It was somewhere around then when they the name Perfect Dark Zero slipped out on like a GameCube spec sheet or something. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like officially revealed, but it leaked that it was being worked on as a GameCube title. Yeah, I, I I don't remember how it happened, but I remember being very excited. And it was one of the primary reasons I got a job when I was a teenager and I bought a GameCube. <laughs> <laughs> and that whole thing is very sad, knowing what happened later. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I remember at the time, like I brought, I mean the GameCube came out a little later over here, it was May 2002, it was like six months after you guys, Okay. Um, but I mean, I still say to this day, that had one of the best launch lineups ever, you know, you had you had Luigi's Mansion, Star Wars Rogue Leader, um, you had uh, a really decent port of Sonic Adventure 2. See, yeah, you guys got lucky, actually, with that, because uh, I believe day one there was, like, two or three games for the GameCube in America, because not stuff that wasn't done yet. Dude, we had 18 games. Oh, nice. Yeah, I remember, I, there might have been a few more uh, less um, notable ones, but I remember having a choice between Luigi's Mansion, uh, Wave Race, and Rogue Leader. I and I, there's there was probably some, like, shovelware games, too. But, oh, there was yeah, shovelware, some, but, there, but, like, there were some really good sort of like games like Super Monkey Ball like that was awesome oh yeah that was there too I forgot about that one yeah that was fucking brilliant I loved that I got well I'll tell you what day one I got um, Sonic Adventure 2 and Super Monkey Ball so it was like a Sega launch for me and (laughs) man I just ate those games up and my friend got Luigi's Mansion so I didn't bother picking it up I played his version Um, and then like three weeks later we got Pikmin and then a week after that we got Smash Oh wow! And yeah, then... that's. It felt like a much longer wait uh, for me, <clears throat> but as I said, we had it way earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
Yeah, this was, and, and obviously we were building up towards the release of Star Fox Adventures, and then came September 11th, 2002, uh. the, the dark day in American history when we had that <laughs> announcement. <laughs> yes, and then I I remember being, being very upset, and that honestly kind of started almost a falling out with me and, and Nintendo. Like I, I don't. I think I kind of blamed them. I don't know if it was really their fault as much as I thought back then. But I was like, "Come on, guys! You could have bought them. You let this happen. If you had wanted to keep them, you could have." What actually happened, right? I know the specifics have come out come out more recently. Um, Rare, uh, the Stampers wanted to sell Rare because you know the development costs were getting much more expensive right um i think they initially asked nintendo for um like uh higher budgets on their game like they wanted more um Mm -hmm. finance from nintendo um and nintendo said no so then they said okay we want to sell the whole company do you want to buy and they said no um then they put themselves on sale quite privately and activision was set to buy them i think activision and microsoft were competing there was some kind of breakdown of the Activision deal, which the details have never been revealed. Something happened. Something went. Thank down. God that didn't go through. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you say that, but then again, I mean, then there'd have been multi-platform and. Yeah, but I, Activision is just slightly evil, and say okay. what you want about Microsoft, they at least kind of treat their first-party games pretty good for the for the most part. Well, yeah, for and... the core reason they want them to sell. Uh, yeah, and just seeing how what how Activision has been with uh, they don't even own Bungie, and just seeing how anti-consumer uh, some things have been with Destiny, which actually I just started playing again, and I'm not saying it's a bad game; it's actually pretty good in places. It's more how the game was sold and has been sold that has been really shitty. Okay. And I think Microsoft is partly to blame for that. And I feel like if Rare had ended up with Activision, we would have got those same kind of just anti-consumer policies with games being released piecemeal or ridiculous $50 season passes, which Activision also does for some of their games. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. But um, yeah, so the Activision deal broke down for some reason. And then... Microsoft, um, I think um, uh, Ken Lobb at this point was working at Microsoft, and he he basically said, "Look, you guys should buy Rare." And you know, I imagine he was having a beer with Bill Gates, and Bill Gates was like, well, <laughs> "Damn, damn, Lobb, we're getting the fucking Stamper Brothers on my team." I don't know what Bill Gates sounds like. I assume he's a crazy cowboy. Uh, yes clearly all americans sound exactly like that that was a spot-on impression clearly um (laughs) so anyway right because nintendo owned a 49 percent stake of rare um i can't remember the exact specifics but if microsoft made an offer nintendo had to had the option to match it yeah that's it yeah they they had the option to match it and they would have first refusal if they wanted to buy Rare. Yeah. So that's why Microsoft made a ridiculously big offer. And I'm not saying Rare aren't worth it, but they basically paid double the amount yeah. they really should have paid. They, like, $350 million or something? 
in my opinion, it shouldn't have ever gotten to that point, though. Like, they sh- where sh- or Nintendo should have snapped them off when they first offered, hey, you want to buy us? Because at that point, they were such a part of the Nintendo brand. Like, they had to have known that not buying them could potentially lead to something like this. Well, I And I feel that they were devaluing their worth. Like, they decided that the amount of money it would take to buy them was not worth what they produced. And that's kind of what I don't agree with. Well, I remember even Tim Stamper said recently in an interview that he was very surprised that uh, Nintendo did not initially buy them. Because, I mean, if you think back then, I mean, do you think maybe Nintendo were a bit pissed off with the direction where we're going? With, like, um say, uh, DK64, the initial concepts had the Kongs with real-world weapons. Conquer. (laughs) Conquer turned out how it did, and they refused to even publish it. Um, Do you think maybe things like that were, like... Uh, I I feel like I remember hearing that Nintendo was actually fairly supportive of Conquer. Um, Yeah. they They even built that whole... I mean, they didn't really market it, but that was because, you know, their marketing channels were mainly family friendly. Yeah. But supposedly they even built like this big like whole bar and oh, pub for Conquer eighty three yeah, and they did that. like all that stuff. It was just their marketing for it, they kinda just tried to make it only for adults. And so their normal marketing channels almost had absolutely nothing on it because of that. Yeah. So I I just feel that someone higher up that maybe didn't care that much for their games decided that they weren't worth what they would need to have to have paid for him. Well, at, at that point, Yamochi was still in charge, wasn't he? Because he didn't die till like two thousand. Oh, actually, he... didn't he? Re- didn't he retire? I thought he retired at that point. I mean, he was he hadn't died yet, but oh, I yeah. think uh, he was retired. I think Iwata took over two thousand two. Oh, so that would have been around that time. Maybe then. Maybe when Iwata came in, maybe he just didn't. I mean, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, because they're both dead Yeah, now. I mean, it could have been. I mean, it could have been anyone. It could have been... I mean, you know, I mean, it's not... I imagine a decision like that probably wouldn't have been made by just one person. Oh, no, yeah, it would have been a board decision, but yeah. I, I still assume he'd have had, like, some serious... Yeah. Uh, I, I get the feeling it was purely financial, because Rare's games weren't selling as well around that time. And they probably just decided that it wouldn't improve their bottom line enough. Yeah. And, you know, it makes sense from a business standpoint, I guess. But it's like, long term. That's such a... Sorry, go on. As a long term, the rare uh, brand and characters, I mean, that is part of uh, what Nintendo was in the 90s. And to lose that company, it doesn't mean just you lose future games. It means it ended up with them losing you know, the rights to republish all of these classic games that they could have put on the virtual console. Yeah, and... And, and like, Nintendo loves to re-release games, like... <laughs> I mean, imagine, you, you know, by now we would have had Banjo-Kazooie 3D on the 3DS. Yeah, yeah. All the N64 games on the virtual console. And, I mean, if you just look at... the saying the Rare games didn't sell that well at that time. Yeah, because Rare are releasing games for the Nintendo 64 at that point in the cycle where it was <laughs> no games were selling I mean Majora's Mask that shifted what yeah. 1 million units I think from 1999 onwards the N64 kind of died off um, you know Pokemon exploded and I think it was only the Pokemon games that still sold like Stadium and Snap yeah but that 
That was like a phenomenon. <laughs> I mean, I know some people bought a Nintendo 64 just to play the Pokemon games, and I, I don't think... I think at the time, there was some crossover, obviously, between Rare and Pokemon fans, such as myself, mm. and I, I assume you too. Oh, yeah. I, I was big into that back in the day. Uh, um, I mean, yeah, I, I just guess... I guess Pokemon was taking the world by storm, and Rare even though they were critically the most acclaimed developers on their system, I guess they just thought, well, if they're not making the money, yeah, you're probably right. Um, I, I do wonder if, in hindsight, Nintendo regrets not purchasing them when they had the chance. I, I think there has to be a little regret. Like, I wonder maybe they didn't think it would go this far with them having to like sell back their shares and have this sort of, like, divorce-like situation where we're deciding who gets what IPs and <laughs> all that nonsense. So, I don't know. I think it was just probably a bad call someone made, and I think they're probably regretting it. But, well, I mean, in a way, I don't think it really worked out that bad for the fans, because I don't know if uh, Rare's output for the Nintendo Wii would have been nearly as good as what they put out for the C360 in my opinion well yeah because everyone's quick to jump on Rare for the Xbox and bash them and I mean obviously the main point of this segment is to go into Perfect Dark Zero but aside from that polarizing title you know Ghoulies didn't do very well trust me dude if Ghoulies was a GameCube game mid GameCube life that would have done really well yeah 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 for sure and most of their games, I think, probably would have sold well on Nintendo consoles. And I think they're going to start selling well again on Microsoft consoles, because I think a lot of that sort of console war fanboyism, while it's still around, it's not as pronounced as it was before, because a lot of... I don't think I know a single Nintendo fan that only owns a Nintendo console now. Um, and, I, know, I know of a couple on like these crazy Facebook Nintendo fan sites, but... Yeah, in real life. <laughs> in real life, yeah. You get you get a Nintendo console to play those games, and you have a regular console or a really powerful computer to play everything else. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot, as long as Rare continues to make these type of games, I think the Xbox could become like the other console for the Nintendo fan. And it's not so much before, well, like especially for Ghoulies, when the GameCube was really... A direct competitor to the original Xbox. Yeah. After that, I mean, we had the Nintendo Wii, which I kind of said that I'm kind of glad that Rare didn't have to make games for the Nintendo Wii, because <laughs> I was not a fan of that console. Wow. And I don't <clears throat> think the game, if they had tried to make their 360 output for the Nintendo Wii, I don't think it would have taken out nearly as good with that limited amount of power you... and that rather restricting controller imagine viva pinata on the wii i mean the control might have been okay actually because i think a point of a viva pinata isn't too bad an idea but yeah visually the you know viva pinata is so beautiful can you imagine mm -hmm. that on the wii yeah. <laughs> and i'm pretty sure nuts and bolts would not even been physically possible with the power that the wii had with all the physics going on yeah no that <clears throat> No, you're right, you're right, dude. I mean, I think it's worked out for the best, ultimately. I think <clears throat> it was kind of like we had to go through the rough times to get to the good. And yeah. I, think, I mean, if you look at the past five years as a whole, 
the the way the Donkey Kong franchise has become reinvigorated and Rare finally now between Rare and Platonic, we're kind of I think we're and we could be entering a second golden age. Yeah, I, I kind of agree because even if even if Rare themselves doesn't uh, pursue sort of the old school genres. They're still going to be Platonic doing that, and they said themselves they want to do more games, more genres, more types of things. So I'm wondering if we're going to kind of end up with a situation where Rare proper is going to be kind of like uh, the experimental game that Rare used to do, and then Platonic will be more of, not say a rehash, but something that kind of is a little bit more nostalgic, but with a new twist on nostalgia, sort of kind of how, you know, say a Rare team would be, because back in the day... It was like one, one one of the barns would work on like something new and entirely different, and one of the barns would work on kind of a revamp of something old, kind of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. I mean, um, well, right now we've got kind of hints that um, the rare replay gu- uh, guys have moved on to a new project. It's not like mm-hmm. they've just been sucked into Sea of Thieves. I'm sure some of them have. But. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I, I, I bet you they're at least proto. I mean, it sounds like from what they said on Twitter that someone's prototyping something. And I'm just hoping that it doesn't end up, you know, with the rubbish bin with all those other prototypes we saw in Rare Replay. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, they seem a lot better structured and focused now. And just just seeing like all these behind the scenes stuff and just everyone seems just so happy to work there and be there and it I've, I mean I've got the feeling that there was a point in Rare when maybe that wasn't so much the case yeah I mean last year we kind of hit the, the, the sort of uh, the bottom I think of this of this whole Microsoft situation when you yeah. had all the layoffs when um like Chris Sutherland and a few others got all basically laid off all at the same time, which is really sad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I still find it odd that some of the guys like Sutherland were let go, but I imagine it was probably purely financial and they probably, maybe they were probably redundant. They had other people that could do what they could do for less and it was probably something like that, which is kind of sad, but you can't really be too mad about it. <laughs> I mean, Connect Sports Rivals did not sell very well at all, so I imagine that they had scaled up so much for that that they just couldn't sustain paying all these guys. Yeah. Uh, um, so, I mean, we've kind of, like, skipped right over where we're going with this. Um, I know. Um, yeah, we're supposed to be talking about Perfect Dark Zero. <laughs> and we've ended up in <laughs> 2015 again. Um, yeah. Um, it, well, I, I think... Go on. I think we should count this as probably going over the development. Maybe we should just kind of move on to uh, our first experiences with the game, if that's all right. Just to keep um, you moving along. So yeah, I just, I just want to. <laughs> yeah, I just want to very briefly say, um, yeah. So Perfect Dot Zero was moved from the GameCube onto the Xbox, and then halfway through, it was shifted to the 360 to be a launch title. So. This game kind of went for a tumultuous development more than possibly any other rare title, so <laughs> it was never going to come out a hundred percent perfect. But like, do you want to tell tell the guys what your first experience with it was? Yeah, I I actually I didn't 
pick it up uh, at launch because I didn't pick up a 360 probably to a few years later. But it was one of the first titles uh, that I played for it. And all my first impressions were actually fairly positive. Like, it was definitely not as good as the original. But I think at that point, I was just so happy to kind of play as Joanna again and just experience that world. And there's there's definitely some really uh, weird things, which we've talked about, like uh, Joanna suddenly having an American accent and uh, not remembering Dr. Carol, <laughs> which seems really weird. And um, it's I feel like they did so they're not even... Yeah, it's like, they're like, well, story's not too important, so let's just finish the game and worry about plot holes later, and then they never got around to filling the plot holes. <laughs> but it the visuals I think are really impressive at the time and in some cases I think they still look decent today Um, it's a very odd game where screenshots can look either really bad or really good there's some places where texturing is just superb and there's other places where it just looks really dated well and that's that's Go ahead. Sorry, did you did you say you picked it up on launch or very? Quickly? No, I didn't. I picked it up a few years later oh, because sorry. I didn't get the three sixty yeah. right away. Okay, which was for the best because I skipped the whole Red Wing fiasco. I honestly didn't get one until I started hearing um, um, about improvements being made to it, <laughs> so that it wouldn't Red Wing on me because like everyone I'd known had like had theirs meltdown, and like I did not want to deal with that. Yeah, no, understandably. Um, so. So when you first got it, did you did you play through the whole campaign? Did you play the multiplayer much? Like, um, mainly the campaign because at that point the multiplayer was like pretty much dead. So I kind of completely missed out at like the sort of high point of the multiplayer when it was like the game that everyone was playing online. So yeah, I just did a I did a playthrough of just the main story, and it's 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 kind of a mixed bag in places. I said I really enjoyed a lot of the graphics. Some of the missions were really fun. The story was pretty bad. <laughs> sorry, sorry, but it is. And the ending boss was, I thought, really just weak and bizarre and kind of not really toned with the rest of the game. Uh, but that being said, I did have a good time. I didn't really like put it down and say, this was a waste of money or this was a bad experience. It was like I had a good time. It was a good. It was a good game. It was a rare game, but it wasn't as good as the hype had led me to believe. After waiting all those years, from when I first heard about it, you know, being sort of leaked for the GameCube, up until I finally got my hands on it, it was a little bit of a disappointment. And I think that disappointment is probably kind of what has really put it as just like a really big negative in a lot of people's eyes, whether it deserves it or not. I don't know. What do you think? Well, um, <clears throat> I mean, I'll, I'll sort of I'll, I'll move on to that, and I think first of all, I'll sort of say about my first experience because that kind of leads into my current thoughts. Um, but my first experience with it was um, well, I got my Xbox in two thousand seven, just before Halo Three came out, and I picked up Perfect Dark Zero for like five pounds or something like really cheap um and i played the training mission like mission zero mm-hmm. and i was like what the fuck is this 
I played like <laughs> I played like five minutes of the first mission and I just put it down. I, I, it made me feel. I, well, I think I was in a bit of a really cynical stage of my life anyway. I was kind of like turning against a lot of things on, you know, without really giving them a chance, and I just didn't like it. It didn't feel natural. It felt clunky, and I didn't like it at all. Um, I tried picking it back up about four years ago. Uh, I think I made it to like the third mission, and again, I was just fed up. I, I really wasn't enjoying it. So I, I left it again, and obviously now I've just played through it on uh, Rare Replay, and uh, it's weird, but i got to say, I think I kind of missed out on a decent game. It's, it's Some of the imagination in some of the stages is really good. Some of the ideas are really good. Um, right. <clears throat> the weapon handling is really uh, I, I actually it does play quite well once you get into it and once you get a feel for the physics yeah it's it's a lot more weighty like I think they tried to want to make like the weapons feel like they had weight mm. and it wasn't like this kind of like light as a feather feel of Goldeneye and Perfect Dark and I think that's kind of probably uh, why it just felt really off to people when they first picked it up well it's yeah I, I mean it's kind of like I mean, even Call of Duty feels quite lightweight compared to... Perfect, I'd say Perfect Dark's got much more of a Halo feel. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when you pull a gun out, you really feel like it's clunky. I mean, the plasma rifle or the sniper, it's like, you know, you're holding something heavy in your hands. Yeah, it, I don't know if you ever played Killzone 2 for PS3, but it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Because that game has really weighty weapons. And that's kind of the signatures that every weapon has, like... It feels like you're holding a gun and you're shooting a gun, and that's kind of what they went for with design choice. And in that case, it worked really well. I'm saying it worked really bad in Perfect Dark, but it probably might not have been the best design choice for an established series to kind of like change it up that much. But it, I got used to it, and I don't think it really seriously um, made me hate the game or anything. But it is a little off-putting, I think, for veterans who first put it up just to suddenly have that drastic change in feel. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I haven't played Killzone, so I can't, you know, I can't, I've got no comparison to make there. Um, but, yeah, I think I think it probably, the difference in the feel more than anything. I didn't mind the visual aesthetic change. I didn't mind, well, I wasn't keen on... American Joanna, but I could accept those changes as you know a different interpretation of the franchise. But yeah, it was really the the feel of the game that put me off because it didn't feel like Perfect Dark. And y- you know, let's be fair, it doesn't to this day. It doesn't feel like Perfect Dark. But I yeah. think I've kind of accepted it as its own thing now. It it's it's a I'm not going to say misstep, but it's a an interesting experiment. I mean, I suppose we could really call it the nuts and bolts of Perfect Dark. Yeah, in some ways. And I, I do kind of like that. I wonder if that's why they went with uh, prequels, because they were planning on sort of changing, thing up, changing things up and being a little bit more experimental, so that it wouldn't be so much of people expecting it to be exactly like the first one. Yeah. Though I think that people ended up expecting that anyway, because it had been so long by the time it came out that people... To them, this was the sequel. This wasn't a side game or a prequel. This was the follow-up. 
and maybe that's just sort of unfortunate timing with all the behind-the-scene politics of having to change platforms so many times. It just kind of ended up sort of ending up that way, but I don't know. It's it's still, to me, it's still a worth-playing game if you haven't played it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I think, I mean, we're going to get into the specifics in a minute, but um, right now my current thoughts on the game, I mean, I'm not really one to score give games a, a score, a numerical score, because I think, uh, you know, um, judgments are, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a lot more <laughs> deep than, you know, 7.5 or 6.2, like, I, don't... I know, I, I pretty much have, like, four ratings I give a game, it's like, it's completely terrible, don't you even think about playing it, it's bad, don't bother with it, it's good, you should play it, and this is one of the greatest games of all time. And that's, that's to me, pretty much all you really need to describe a game. Assigning a number to it is just for, like, stupid Metacritic metrics, and it seems a little disingenuous to the developers just to sort of, like, put all their hard work into a number. Yeah, like, I remember, I remember the controversy when um, the GameSpot guy, Jeff... Jeff? Can you... What's his last name? Gerstam? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, Jeff Gerstam, I think it is. Yeah, he gave Twilight Princess, when that came out, he gave it an 8.8, and I kid you not, Zelda fans were sending him death threats, so <laughs> they were threatening his family. It was fucking insane. Dude, if I created any piece of art, a film, a game, a song, if it got an 8.8, I'd be so excited. Yeah. That's an incredible score. That's saying it's too... too decimal points off from amazing <laughs> i know people just take it so seriously now and uh, there, there's actually a similar thing to that that happened uh with the last of us because uh, one site gave it like a 7.5 and then they just got attacked really hardcore because they're like okay you're just you're, you're just rated that to get clicks because now everyone's going to click your article and figure out why you rated it lower than every other publication and then that caused a lot of drama and Twitter bashing and hate mail and the usual overreactions on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, yeah, getting back to what I was saying, um, if you've got Rare Replay, I think you're going to end up playing it anyway, even if you don't have Rare Replay, which I don't think anyone listening to this podcast wouldn't have. Now they could still be saving for an Xbox One, you never know. Okay, fair enough. All right. <laughs> if you've got a 360 and you've got a few dollars to spare, or a few pounds, um, pick up Perfect Dark Zero. I mean, you can find it for, like, it's like five pounds over here used. Um, I, yeah, I, I think uh, when I first picked it up, I think I got it for, like, three bucks or something. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it... it which is kind of sad because I think it's it was worth way more than that, <laughs> but it's kind of a thing that kind of happens, uh, especially with a system like the 360 that has so many games. If it's not like a massive success, it kind of gets bargain binned pretty quickly. Yeah, um, which you know for us it's good because we can get cool games really cheap, but it's sad for the developers to see yeah. it happen so quickly. Um, but yeah, pick it up, play. You know, give it a give it a chance. It's um, it's an interesting game. It's not it's not good. It's not bad. It's it's interesting. Um, so uh, yeah, um, should we talk about 
the story and characters? <laughs> I think we've won over that a little bit already, kind of accidentally, but... Um, honestly, a lot of the major plot points, other than, like, the, you know, the twists and stuff, I have a hard time even remembering it, because it was kind of just, like, these people talking in the pre-missions, and it was usually kind of boring. Yeah. Um, there's a twist near the end where... I'm not going to say what it is, but there's some kind of betrayal. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll give, like, a basic run-through, like, a non-spoiler brief synopsis, okay? Well, the game starts where a 20-year-old Joanna Dark, who is now uh, an Amer- American sweetheart, um, <laughs> she's, like, a bounty hunter with her father, like, in a small-scale operation, and there's, like, a, a tech girl called Chandra who works with them. And yeah, they're on like a they're on a job, and dude, I skipped most of the cutscenes, so I can't remember. <laughs> but I think like the... I know that's my same problem. I'm like, um, yeah, we just both played through this game, but I'm having a hard time remembering what happened. <laughs> they're on a job in Hong Kong, and there's this dude. Is it Ziggler, the fat guy? Ziggler, yeah. Yeah, they they find this guy Ziggler, and he's been doing some research, and it's linked into. Uh, Chang Hai Shang Was it Shang Li? Shang Li, like yeah, Shang Li um, who you go and investigate in China and it turns out he's the like the founder of Datadyne, is it? And yeah, then he's like the creator of Deathmatch I, I did think that was kind of cool that they explained the existence of like the sort of combat simulator that in game. That was pretty cool, yeah. He, <laughs> he, he basically, he created the VR deathmatch program, mm-hmm. which, yeah, so basically da- uh, Datadyne, the evil corporation, the main villains of the franchise, they were the ones who created the combat simulator, which, yeah, it was cool they explained that. And in that mission, it's actually a really cool mission, you infiltrate his mansion... And when you get there, he's so impressed that he invites you to try out the combat simulator with his daughter, who they've got a weird relationship. Uh, just, <laughs> you, know. you did well. Please tr- attempt to murder my daughter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like his daughter is running around for some reason in like next to nothing. She's wearing like the skimpiest clothes possible. Uh, I, I I don't even know how to describe what she's wearing. It's like. I don't know. It's like like ha- like she's wearing. It's just, isn't it kind of a dress, sort of? But then like half of it is like missing. <laughs> it basically just about covers her nipples and vagina. <laughs> just. Um, I mean, even Joanna. You know. Don't forget, Joanna was created to be different from the Lara Croft of this world. She was meant to mm-hmm. be sort of a respectable, you know, sort of. You know, wild, wild, you know, she, she didn't have her assets on display, let's say. And then in Perfect yeah. Dark, she's wearing like uh, a cut-off T-shirt with her belly hanging out, her boobs, are, uh, you know, poking out of her top. You know, she's. Got... Uh, I don't think it was that bad. I mean, in comparison to what I don't normally see females dressed in video games, it was actually pretty tame. Dude, have you not? But... Have you seen the promotional render where she's in the Carrington outfit? Pulling the zip down the middle and oh yeah, I've boot. seen that one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was. It, they did definitely ramp up the sexualization of Joanna. Um, you know, considering in the original she looked like Tom Cruise with boobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was 
definitely yeah, much more realistic betrayal in the first game. But you know what? It's probably the least of the problems with video game errors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, it, 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 sadly, at the point, if, if, you know, if you can see less than, like, uh, 75% of their boobs, it's probably a win. Yeah, okay, I'll <laughs> go there, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, yeah, so then the story, uh, i trying to think, yeah, yeah uh, Joanna's father, Jack Dark, keeps getting kidnapped, you have to keep rescuing him, and eventually something happens which leads Joe to go somewhere I'm trying to avoid spoilers now and also you know I don't remember it all but um, <laughs> so you shouldn't admit that you're going to say oh the reason I'm being very vague is because I don't want to give it away but I actually can't remember that's exactly it <laughs> I retract the last 30 seconds from all of your memories okay uh, so now you've forgotten that um, I remember everything and I don't want to spoil you uh, <laughs> Perfect. Joanna ends up going to an like an oil rig out at sea, and it turns out that someone in her life isn't who she thought they were. Uh, but luckily, Carrington Institute is uh, they kind of cross paths with Joanna at the same time, and they've been tracking her. And uh, Carrington mm. is really impressed with her. So um, Jonathan who, from the original game, shows up and he's like, Joe, just come with me, we'll get you out as long as you, you know, help us out. Yeah, except imagine that in a very, very annoying voice. Hey, Joanna, (laughs) you want to come with me? Yeah, pretty much like that. And, you know, in the original game, it would have been, okay, Jonathan, and then this one would say, okay, Jonathan, let's go. (laughs) Yeah, it's not just that they have an American accent, it's also that they cannot act. And I'm pretty sure that the guy who played Jonathan was purposely trying to make his voice sound lower than it was. Yeah. And it and it just sounded like, I don't know what it sounded like, but it sounded like something that needed to be strangled and shot. Which you could do if you want to fail the mission. But... Fail the mission. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, we're kind of like, cribbing on the next seg- segment where we're going to talk about the individual missions but yeah I, I, I think we should probably try to be a lot more lighter now because I'm we're getting pretty close to the two hour mark and we probably shouldn't go too much after that and no one's going to click play okay okay well um, let's yeah I mean I'm not going to sort of give away any more of the story but Carrington's back as well you, you see Carrington unfortunately even though Chris Sutherland worked on the game He's not voicing the character because they outsourced all the voice work to professional voice actors. Which I'm not sure if they actually sound more professional than the rare guys, to be honest. Yeah, you know, it's they're 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 a bit better in cameo. Uh, cameo, the voice acting is a lot better, but it feels like maybe they exceeded their budget and went down the second uh, second tier outsourcing voice company for Perfect Dark Zero. I don't know. But <laughs> it's a little iffy. It's a little, a little iffy. iffy. I mean, you've got a couple yeah. of, um, sort of decent ones in there. The the uh, uh, what's her name? Mayhem uh, Shang Li's daughter is played mm-hmm. by Na- Nayako Mari, who um, she's one of the main characters in Torchwood, the British uh, Doctor Who spin-off TV show. 
so yeah, they've got a couple of established names in there, but overall, it's not even just the bad voice acting, but I think the sound mix is really off. Oh, yeah, f- for real. Um, I actually just upgraded my sound system, and it really made me realize how weird the sound mix was in that game. Just the the, the guns are very, very quiet. It feels like I'm shooting a pop gun sometimes. <laughs> and the whole mix is just bizarre. And it just doesn't really sound that good. It's less noticeable if you have, like, uh, you know, just going through stereo speakers off your TV. But, like, going from playing, like, a modern, more modern game with a really nice sound mix to, like, Perfect Dark Zeroes. A little bit jarring. Yeah. Yeah, don't even see that issue so much in some games like um, Banjo-Kazooie and the first Perfect Dark. But that could be because I'm playing them off the remastered 360 versions they might have done some sound work on those too but they also those all sounded really nice on my system but yeah it's it's different and, and not trying to sound too negative on the game because i really did like it it's just um you know sort of make sure your expectations aren't through the roof like a lot of people had and that's kind of what i think led to the negative reaction in the first place was untempered expectations yeah definitely um, and also, just while we're talking about sound, um, the soundtrack, um, there are some, a few good tunes in this game, but it feels like, like half the soundtrack's missing. Yeah, there's times when it just gets like there's, I don't know if it was intentional, because I think there was some games that were doing the no music thing pretty well, like Half-Life, so I don't know if they were kind of going for that. But it was weird because, you know, there would be no music, and then just suddenly there would be music when you get to another part of the level. Yeah. And it was just kind of jarring, because then the music would go away, and then there would be complete science again. Yeah, like when you go... And it was like they didn't commit to one to the other. When you go to the South American jungle, there's like two missions in that chapter, and the first mission's like a really silent... um, uh, If you remember Jungle off uh, Goldeneye, it's kind of like that, which also, that didn't really have any music, uh, funnily enough. Um, but yeah, there's like no music for the entire level, and then you get to the next mission where you sort of uh, infiltrate the dig site, and you've just got this really high octane pumping, uh, like trance rock playing, and it's yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it don't get me wrong. Some of the music is actually pretty good in the game. It's just sometimes seems expect unexpected and sometimes out of place. Well, I think um, the <laughs> the best moment in terms of sound mix is um, in the first real mission, the Hong Kong nightclub stage. The um, oh yeah, the, the, the song in the nightclub, Limelight. That song is fucking awesome. I've been listening to it on YouTube for the past few days when I've been grinding kills on multiplayer. Um, I mean, if you want, when you're mixing this up, you might want to drop like thirty seconds of that song <laughs> in now because that. Oh god. I, I'm, yeah, we could. If yeah, if uh, if we don't, if Rare's okay with that, <laughs> please don't sue us and or Microsoft. Dude, they're fine with it. Any <laughs> any publicity for this game is just a win yes. at the moment. <laughs> Buy Rare replay. Yeah, yeah I, think, to I think that that plug paid for our usage. <laughs> I just the cool thing about this, like it, to me, it sums up the mid two thousands. This like euphoric, atmospheric but shitty trance all at the same time it's like yeah it, it's so generic but also 
so it really gets you into the mood and the atmosphere and it, it reminds me of my days i mean how, how old are you actually dave um i'm about to turn 30 shit you old man i'm yeah i know uh october 2nd i'm turned 30 and it's a very sad day I'm, for myself i'm 27 um obviously in the uk though it's three years difference between you know when you can drink so the mid 2000s is when i started like going clubbing uh i, mm-hmm. I, I don't know where you where you live if maybe clubbing's not so big um um there's actually some in this. I'm a little ways out from the city, but the closest city, there's actually a few clubs there. I never really did it a whole lot, just because I always felt like I didn't fit in or belong. I tried a couple times, and then I kind of felt like, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of like swaying to the music in a corner, and people are looking at me. Dude, <laughs> dude, embrace it. Like when I first started going clubbing, sort of 2005, 2006, I was like, oh. Really nervous, all the pretty girls, and then I just thought, fuck it, and I, I started going all the time with my friend Jim. Um, he's actually a really, really long-term poster on the DK Vine forum. I don't know if you've met him yet. Um, uh, what's his name? Jim. Username? His username's Jim. He hasn't oh. he hasn't been as active lately. Um, he's got a Smokey the Dragon avatar. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> And, and DK Vine can thank you for all the times can thank us for all the times we've plugged their site. Today. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, um, go there as well as our site, please. Yeah, go to DK Vine. Honestly, it's it's probably my favorite fan site. You know, not including Reddit. I, I think they definitely have uh, probably the most active community right now. Yeah, it's a, and they fans. they have um, like three podcasts as well. They're really good site run by some really cool guys and i mean i made some lifelong friends on there so yeah check it out but um back to the what i was saying yeah me and my friend jim we started going clubbing and we just started treating it as satire like we'd purposely (laughs) dance we came up with the shittest possible dances and like (laughs) you know and it was cool because then girls would come up to us and be like what are you doing and we're like having fun piss off (laughs) (laughs) i remember the ones there was this really fucking hot chick went up to Jim and started actually trying to dance with him, like, legitimately. And he looked at her, and he just laughed. He's like, what are you doing? I'm shit. And he just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> so, that... Go on. That's, that's funny. That, that doesn't seem the best strategy, but, you know, if you're having a good time, you're having a good time, right? Yeah, I mean, to me now, like, clubbing is about just having fun with my friends, you know. Yeah. I, I'm not, I mean, I'm at the age where, I mean, at the moment, I'm actually currently single. I recently broke up with my girlfriend, but I'm not at the point where I'm looking for the next lay. I'm not that kind of guy, you know. If I meet a girl I like, you know, I, yeah. I date her. I mean, you're lucky, obviously, you're you're married, you, you've met the right girl. I'm really happy for you, obviously, but I'm kind of like just, so many guys go clubbing to try and get laid. I go look. I go clubbing to have fun, and yeah, that, that's honestly the best way. I, I, to me, I think when you look, you purposely look for girls, you usually end up with someone who's also kind of purposely looking, and a lot of times that's for a reason because they're slightly insane. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. You know, I've had some good over the years. I had uh, a couple of um, interesting encounters. But you know, to, yeah. to me, yeah, it's yeah. just about it's about the fun, and 
that was a really weird tangent to go off on, but no, that song Limelight that plays in the club, for some reason it just evokes such nostalgia for that yeah. mid two thousands clubbing scene that I sort of it's a good song. grew into. Yeah, it's a cool song. Um <laughs> Alright, um you're really probably taking way too long to go through this. Yeah. So you wanna kinda just maybe skip to final thoughts and we can maybe Maybe kind of push anything else we were around to say in the other categories into that. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I, in terms of the missions, um, I'll just quickly say there are a few... I actually think every mission is at least decent. Now I've mastered them. Um, I'd say the best way to play the game is play it on Secret Agent. I think Agent is boring and Perfect Agent is way too hard in this game yeah <laughs> because you're dealing with halo length levels but with no checkpoints which <laughs> yes and there are checkpoints in secret and agent modes um one, only one mind you only one but it's usually in a decent place and i mean if you master the game if you get good then it shouldn't really be an issue but yeah. yeah, perfect agent, and I god imagine dark agent. Um, you have to be pretty godlike. I've cl- yeah, I've cleared the training mission and the final boss on perfect agent, and that's good enough for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and um, I'll probably get into the achievements on my final thoughts. Are, are you getting more to say about that, or should I kind of go into my thoughts? Um, well, yeah. Well, what I was going to say was um, obviously I originally started playing the game more just to get the stamps for Rare Replay, which mm-hmm. if any any of you have Rare Replay know the way the 360 games work are your stamps are based on your gamer score for that specific game. Uh, Perfect Dark Zero, and I feel we really need to discuss this quickly um, because it's it's such a glaring issue for me. Every retail 360 game on Rare Replay, you have to get 750 game score to get all the stamps. And Perfect Dark Zero, 720 of the gamer score are for multiplayer, um, which you can do on your own with bots, but we're talking about grinding for at least 30 hours. At least. Yep. <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty much done in this structure like any type of kill objective or something you can do. They do it in three achievements levels. So you do 100 of one thing, 500 of one thing, and then 1,000 of one thing. And it could be something like headshots, games played, kills in a specific game mode, flags <laughs> captured, snipers. Well, actually, dude, and it's, just... dude it's worse than that. You've got, it, you've got it a little bit wrong. It's 10... 100 and 1,000, so... Oh, what did I say? You said 100, <laughs> 500, and 1,000. Oh, you're right. My bad. But No, dude, I think if it was the way you said, that wouldn't be as bad, but the gulf between 100 and 1,000, it just feels like... Because you can't even track your stats. There's no stat screen. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I mean, right now, I have to get 1,000 games played on Dark Ops, so I've set up the shortest possible way of doing it, and, like, after I got the 100 achievement, it's like I'm going out into the wilderness because it, it, it's, like, 900 more games with no sense of progress. Even if they had, like, a status bar where you could see how much left you have to do, that wouldn't be as bad. But it just feels like 
I have literally hours, hours and hours, you know, probably a day's worth of gameplay ahead of me of just pressing start <laughs> just to get these points. And yeah, it's. I can't. I, I think the idea was was that you'd be playing a ton of multiplayer and they'd all come naturally on your own. They wouldn't be a pain when the game first came out. Yeah, and I. But I can't fault the original release. No. Yeah, now it's like you know the multiplayer is not really very populated online if at all i honestly haven't really tried to look for a game but i imagine it's probably pretty um vacant (laughs) so that kind of leaves the only way to do it is just to play against bots over and over again with like specific setups to help you get as many kills or points or whatever you're going for as you can in a session and yeah i i feel that probably most of the people who have um completed all 330 stamps in Rare Replay probably at least had a fair amount of progress in uh, Perfect Dark Zero already because it's a time sink. Yeah. Um, In in regards to minimum hours put in, uh, regardless of skill, Perfect Dark Zero is by far the longest because I think, I mean, I read on trueachievements.com the shortest possible time to get all gamer score. Like, it's, it's impossible to get it in less than 30 hours it's absolutely impossible just because going by the shortest possible ways of doing it Mm -hmm. and you know there was that guy who reached uh 330 stamps um like 10 days after rare replay came out yeah i'm convinced that guy had max gamer score on all the 360 releases beforehand maybe he's actually not the only one now uh the guy who runs a rare minion um actually uh got all 330 now too that's cool but again i think i'm pretty sure he had all the previous ones maxed out already though so he just had to do the new stuff yeah i mean i wonder because i mean as as you know i've told you um i reached all i got like all the non 360 stamps about two or three weeks after the game came out i just i played the hell out of this thing Mm-hmm. And I, I do wonder, I mean, not to blow my own trumpet, I mean, it, actually, it shows how sad I am. Um, <laughs> I, I do wonder if I would have actually been, if not the first, then maybe the second or third guy to do it. Because I just rinse through these games, but... Maybe. I, I think you're definitely going to end up, probably even when you get through this, you got to at least be in the top ten of uh, getting... Uh, 330. Though I don't know if... I think... I don't know if there's a leaderboard for that, because I think there's a way to track first to uh, all gamers score but i think you have to get like everything not just all the stamps yeah which um i'm not going to go too much back into rare replay but there's one achievement i doubt i'll ever get um and if i do it's going to be through sheer luck and yeah the infinite turbo tunnel that's just it's completely killed me so all i'm focused on now is the stamps and i've got four left on perfect dark zero and i've got all of cameo to look forward to so I'll look forward to that, but as I say, times are pressing on, so I'll just quickly finish up my final thoughts on uh, Perfect Dark Zero. Yeah, so I, th- I think the achievements, I think they for Rare Replay, they should have said you only have to reach 500 gamer score, because I know they wanted it to be uniform across the board, and they thought 750 was... A- and to be fair, that's a good cap for the other games, that's a fair way of saying you need to get really good at the game but you don't need to master everything like Banjo, Viva Piñata I think 750 is a good thing to aim for yeah for sure but for Perfect Dark Zero they should have taken into consideration 
Like, yes. So, rare. If anyone of you is listening, please consider a patch. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't want to spend about you know thirty or forty hours grinding away to get all the stamps. It's really sad, really, because like they patched Jetfall's Gemini overnight, but like I mean, I I imagine they must have. Well, maybe I would have said they got some complaints about Perfect Dark Zero, but I doubt that many people really care. Uh, yeah, honestly, probably a lot of people haven't even got into that yet to even know about how the achievements are, or they don't care about getting all the stamps, and they're just going to play what they like, and that'll be it. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Um, so, do you have any final thoughts on the... Um, I don't want to say too much. I think I already went over most of what I think. It is, it's a good but flawed game, uh, worth playing, but don't raise your expectations too much. Achievements are super frustrating, and if you're looking for a game to 100%, this is not the game for you. No. But I, I would I would advise uh, definitely picking it up in Rare Replay, uh, giving it a go. At least play through the story if you're not interested in getting all the stamps. At least play through to experience that part of Rare's history. And uh, just there's definitely a lot of uh, care and work that went into the game. And just, just at least play it to experience all the time and effort that, you know, the guys have ran into making the game. Yeah. And try not to knock it too much. <laughs> you, you, you can see a lot of work went into it, and it's it's not a bad game. There's no reason to criticize it as harshly as people have been. And look, if, if any of you guys really start getting into the game and we want to set up maybe some, like, private tournaments, I'd, I'd be happy. I don't know about you, but I'd be quite happy to, like, you know, play a few games with the guys. Yeah, that could be fun. Yeah. Like, like, please, kind of like I sort of introduce them to Perfect Dark Zero and try to show them the good of the game, you know, rather than, like, all the negative that people like to throw out there. Yeah, I mean, we could set up, like, we could set up, like, a deathmatch tournament. I mean, and we could even, like, help people grind for kills as well. Yeah, um... There is actually a topic on my on the Rare Friends forum about like uh, gamer ID trading, and that'd be a perfect idea to organize something like that. So it's a uh, be another good reason to uh, register for my forums. Very well put. Very well put. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, okay. So perfect dot zero. Check it out, and you know. Maybe you want to leave your thoughts. Maybe if you think we've missed anything or like. Um, I, I think we've pretty much summed it up. Um, so I think we're probably just kind of going to like a little bit of closing for that yeah. whole episode in general. Yeah. Um, Dave. Um, Dave. Uh, sorry, I was just saying um, to the guys at home if they want to send us their thoughts in the mailbag about. Oh, <laughs> I totally misheard what you said. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, anyone listening, if you think we've if you think we've missed anything or got you know, got a detail wrong somewhere, you know, feel free mm-hmm. to write in and uh I'm sure we'll address it next next time. Yep. Um if we get some mail and it's not, you know, like ridiculously offensive and horrible, we'll probably read it. It's, unless you know, we get like, you know, 500 emails or something like that, which I doubt. <laughs> but you never know. You never know. Success could suddenly find us. I think we'll have to wait until at least episode two until we've got... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not assuming anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm happy for anyone who uh, chooses to listen to this, and I'm very grateful you've uh, wasted about two hours of your life listening to us to jabber about this nonsense. Two hours and so, ten minutes, dude. Two hours and ten minutes, yep. We've definitely hit that mark. So, uh, yep. Um, 
We hope you like the show. Um, I'm not 100% sure in when the next episode will be. Is this is our first one, and there's still some work to be done uh, to get everything put together and set up and out to you guys. So but, we'll see how that goes, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. you have anything you want to say before we uh, cut off? Yeah, I think I, I just want to say um, you know thanks to everyone who's actually listened to this and made it to the end. Um, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a while, and uh, I think everything kind of fell together at the right time. I think this is the year of Rare, and... Um, I think I'm, I'm sort of glad obviously me and you have met and decided to do this and I hope we can really build this into something big and you say you're not sure when the next episode's coming but what we can say is it is definitely coming and this isn't going to be like a two or three podcasts a year thing I mean we want to make this fairly regular and if anyone right. if anyone at home you know, has uh, an idea for an episode, like a, a game they want to see us cover. I can't say, I can't promise we'll do it, but, um, you know, <laughs> just, just you know, leave leave some ideas. And maybe if, if one game gets particularly mentioned a lot, maybe we could look at that in the near future. Yep, and I think I said before, uh, we'd love to have some guests on of Rare Employees. So if any of you guys are interested, uh, we're more than welcome to have you on and talk some of our nonsense with you. I think we lost the rare guys as soon as we started talking about uh, how much we hate Roy Man. <laughs> <laughs> they knew we were jesting. Yep. I hope. <laughs> Alright then, guys. Well, uh, take care, and we'll see you next time. Yep, you all have a good one. <laughs>